0: Viticulture, adventure games,
1: and tiny bird garden. This is staying in. Um, well, I'm, I can say that I um, it's got to the stage now where uh, I I'm just inventing sports at the moment. Inventing. And, <laughs> yep. Sports. Inventing sports. Uh, we had some rain uh, recently and. Uh, <laughs> So, I've had to basically move kind of outdoor activities indoors, so right. so
0: is that is that inventing or is that just repurposing
1: Well no no, no i didn't invent I didn't invent indoor sports I wouldn't go that far uh I understand there's a difference in inventing and adapting hmm. well done, I'll take you through it. I've basically been me me and my partner just before coming onto the microphone, just had a quick round of slipper badminton uh, <laughs> right. hardly her. And it hasn't. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, that's the first time I said the name of it out loud because you know we didn't really need to give it a name. It was more the case of Slipmington. Yep, yeah, there we go. That's patent pending. So, what are you using as the cock? Uh, balloons. We're using balloons.
0: Balloons. Balloons. But hang on. Did you have balloons before playing, or have you bought balloons for Slipmington?
1: I think we know the answer. No, we had them beforehand. Uh, it was Veronica's birthday a few months ago, and the balloons have not gone down. So occasionally, when I'm working, I'll feel a balloon hit me in the back of the head, which mean that that's actually the that means that the game has begun.
2: All oh, right, okay. That that means the balloons have become sentient.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so they're helium balloons then?
1: No, they're not. No, they're not. All oh, right. Okay. That's part of the charm, Sam. In the same way that a shuttlecock doesn't automatically just levitate off the ground. Uh, we're basically playing essentially volleyball but with slippers so these kind of I have these I live in basically these slipper boot things which as you can see they're pretty threadbare and worn now Mm. I mean I don't know why I wear them I think it's purely just decoration because they don't really stay on my feet that long if I turn very quickly when walking they'll fly off my feet (laughs) but they're perfect as a racket like they've got a good slap on them yeah so okay all right
0: putting images aside so this is is volleyball but with slippers and a balloon have you got a net uh no uh, okay okay
2: okay so far very little of this is matching up to badminton
1: yeah i know that's, that's yeah i mean it's 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 like it it's not it I, I don't i don't want to get sued or anything so i have to be very careful down that i don't replicate it exactly so what what's your playing space are you in the lounge, in the kitchen? The playing space is our spare room, which, strange enough, is the smallest room in our flat. And I don't know why we chose here. And the first things first is we, we make sure that the main light is off because, obviously, the hot, the hot light bulb, we don't want it hitting it and bursting the balloon.
0: Maybe that's, like, a 10 points. That's automatically the other player wins the game. Mm. It's like the, the
2: golden
1: snitch from Harry Potter. What is Exactly. It? You're right, Sam. It's a bit like D&D. There's, there's lots of revised editions of it. Um, some favouring combat more, <laughs> others world-building and You're playing Slippington 3rd edition. Yep. And, <laughs> and wait, wait, until, wait until 3.5 comes along. That's really where it starts to get here.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, we, we've mixed it up today. We use two balloons instead of one. And uh, it's just a oh lo- wonderful way to pass the time, really. I mean, in your defence, I think enough elements
2: of the game of badminton have been removed from the game of slipper badminton that it could perhaps be a new, a new sport. Yeah. How do, how do you do your
1: scoring? Do you score on serve or. Uh, it, we, it's very simple, actually. As soon as the ball, the balloon hits the, the other side of, of the room where the opponent is, you get a point. Very simple. Okay, really. so mm. very unlike badminton. Yes, very unlike badminton. <laughs> Again, I can't, I can't impress upon you enough. I don't want to try and replicate badminton. I want to try and create my own thing. I mean, you did call it slipper badminton. Yeah. yeah you I did. mean, I just want to call a spade a spade here. But that was, that was more of a homage, Dan. I see, with influences from yeah, that's it, yeah. Uh, but th- th- that's it. We're at the stage now where we're just finding humor and entertainment in what, on the face of it, might seem spectacularly banal. Um, but each time we play, it gets more, it evolves more and more.
0: Cool. Are you, are you doc? Are you documenting the rules just in case? In case you need to, in case you want to sell it? Well, I just think, I just think, I not necessarily to profit from it, but I've, I've, I'm thinking anthropologists in thousands of years. <laughs> like they, they, they might find two corpses in a, in a flat in the north somewhere and a balloon husk and there were slippers in hands and wonder what went on here.
3: I genuinely, genuinely worry about... <laughs> about history and how people will see the period of time that we're living in now for many reasons obviously but for, but, but for part of the reason is that storage of information is so good now but it's also kind of um transient right yeah. so a hard drive can fail right like a like um, a floppy disk can be com- become corrupted and and all that sort of stuff and and so storage of information can degrade over time. My real genuine worry is that in, in a thousand years time or two thousand years time or whatever it is like human historians will look back and dig out this podcast and will think, oh this this was a real sport or this is where we got badminton this is this is where yeah this is perhaps where badminton came from because we're in the we're in we're in, that, we're in that sweet spot of badminton as a sport. It's probably, what, three, maybe 400 years old? I don't know. Like it can't be that long. So, And there are historical things that we're like, oh, within the space of a couple of hundred years, this was invented. Like We do that now. So in a few thousand years' time, people will think, did Chris Darby invent badminton? Also, never in human history have we ever had a prolonged
0: period away from certain sports to think maybe we should improve them slightly. Like, (laughs) everyone's always playing badminton and tennis so much that it's just like, well, we can't change the rules now. Everyone just knows how to play it. But for the last nine weeks, surely some people have been sitting down and going, why do we do that in badminton? Surely someone's going to have... It's like a mutation. so this is a period of innovation and uh, redistribution of of our collected intelligence to improve sports
1: and what plays to my advantage now is because of all nuclear testing they can't really they won't be from the 50s onwards they can't accurately carbon date things because all the nuclear activity has screwed up their ability to measure that so i'm I'm kind of hidden really in that history when did it happen was it 2020 was it 1960 we'll never know as it were particularly with you know kind of currently my fashion sense it's it's quite anachronistic at the moment so you, you don't really know
0: Well, you've been reinventing sport. I've been um, finally cooking some classics. I, it's been a lifelong ambition of mine to cook croissants from scratch, and I did it last weekend. It took me Ooh. from 2 p.m. on a Saturday until half nine on a Sunday to make them, but I did it. Both of them. <laughs> And they were, very, they were very, very good, actually.
3: Well, congratulations on that. Like, how, um, why have you always wanted to do croissants? Like, what, what spur- and what's spurned on just doing it? Uh, I've, I've always wanted to... I've just generally always wanted to make them,
0: um, just being interested in baking as a process. But, and I've always known that they're very difficult and time-consuming to make. Mm. So that's the thing that's always put me off. And so just generally having a little more time To be able to dedicate to stuff and know that um, I can do it. And also, um, I think it's also little things to help bring the family together as well. Because it's kind of like, I've made 14 croissants. Who wants some? So Mm. early on Sunday morning, I was driving the car with like piles of croissants, delivering them to family members around the village. Like leaving them on doorsteps, ringing the bells, and like walking away. <laughs> oh, the croissant fairy has been. <laughs> the croissant man has been here. Oh,
1: I like the I like the idea, almost like an ice cream van, but it plays like the French national anthem, like in a little jingly <laughs>
0: way.
1: <laughs> I will get the kazoo out,
0: but I got I got told off last time,
1: and rightly so. <laughs> Gentlemen, have you? Have, you're wine drinkers, aren't you? Would you say you're wine drinkers? I have drunk wine. I have drunk
2: it. I also have drunk wine, but I would not in any way consider myself any kind of, uh, in any way knowledgeable on the subject.
0: I feel like I've only ever drunk it properly once.
1: Interesting. So so the, was it free, was it through your nose or like in your ears or something?
3: <laughs> or... Uh, suppository. <laughs> I... Uh... I I know enough about wine to know, like a couple of, a couple of like Colors. things that I like about it, and I, I I generally have preference, but I wouldn't I wouldn't know anything about uh, like I know the word terroir, but I don't really know the difference between a chardonnay and a zinfandel.
1: Okay. So you don't have any kind of preference in types of wine you like to drink, say?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Vouvray. Vouvray is my absolute favourite. Vouvray Demisec. <laughs> Why does it
1: sound like it's just made up
3: when you say it? What? what? Hang on. Is that, is that a brand? No. Or? Vouvray is a region. Demisec means sort of semi-sweet. Um, uh, yeah, the Vouv- uh, Vouvray region of um, France is... Um, I think it's France. Must be France. I'm sure it's France. <laughs> so I was in I was in I was in Paris and we went on a food tour Alex and I and we met a um we met this really nice guy and he he basically he he was the the tour guide and he sort of took us around Paris his name was PJ and he knew everyone. He knew absolutely everyone in Paris it seemed because he'd be like, "Hey, um I'm gonna come into your shop and and get some chocolates, and the people in the chocolate store would be like, "Yeah, come on in, PJ," and like PJ was great, and he like like he was very and like he was very good at um that classic um that classic kind of you're abroad. And people find out that you're British thing. He was very good at that because he did basically just absolutely rip the piss out of uh, m- myself and Alex for the entire four hours um, until they found fa- until he found out that two of the other guests on the thing were American, in which case the, the focus went lasered straight towards the Americans. And we were like, oh, thank God. Um yeah, it was great. And he was telling us all about it. And he um, he showed us Vouvray, Vouvray uh, Demisec. And he was like, this is the good one. And we were like, oh. Yeah, I'm just having a look at it now. Oh, 18 quid a bottle. Bloody hell. Oh, that's nothing, mate. Come on. Isn't it? No, not for a bottle of wine. Like, you're going to enjoy it over a couple of nights. No, that's a, I mean, that's that's a good bottle of wine. It's an all right bottle of wine. It's not Lambrini. I'm not, I'm not saying it's an
2: excellent bottle of wine. Yeah. But that's a good bottle of wine. You could have a drinkable bottle of wine for much cheaper than that.
1: No, you couldn't. Yes, you could. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been to I've been to a couple of vineyards. Like I went to one in a region of southern France, yeah. and it is quite cheap because basically you turn up and there's like a hose pipe. <laughs> <laughs> and you literally people just turn up with. It's a bit like you know pick and mix yeah. when you're a kid. Yeah, you, you, they just weigh the bag at the end. And it was basically <laughs> you know the quality of the wine. <laughs> So uh, I went to this vineyard and we got quite pally with the bloke who runs it. He's from Britain and he moved over there to run this vineyard. And it's in the like the Languedoc region of southern France. And he took me out on his... Um, it's basically a, a, a big machine that goes... That straddles uh, the vines like that go in these long lines. And basically I was stood at the top with my legs astride, looking down and watching this machine go over the vineyards and just gently grabbing the grapes off the vines and collecting these grapes in there. It's amazing. Hope they grab the right right kind of grapes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I made sure not to crouch too low, Sam. <laughs> and we got back to the vineyard bit and it's just this wonderful kind of handmade network of pipes and stuff and that we he opened this kind of trap door into this vat and he lowered down this it's basically this cracked mug on a bit of rope. <laughs> and, he, and then he pulls it back up and it's got liquid in it. And he, he said, Do you want to try next year's Chardonnay? <laughs> and I just took a sip of it and it, was, and it hadn't properly fermented yet. So it was really quite sweet. Mm. It was really lovely. It was like grape juice. Yeah. And there's just something about that culture that I really quite like. And, and, um, and I was very fortunate um, for um, Stonemaier Games to give us a heavily reduced copy of Viticulture Essential Edition which they dub as being the strategic game of winemaking. So a board game about making wine. So a few weeks ago, Pete talked about brewcrafters. And it was when he was talking about that, it made me think about this game and that gamification of this process of making Mm -hmm. a particularly respected and revered drink that has a very strong heritage and history attached to it. And uh, whereas... Brewcrafters is very much responding to the current scene of kind of um, what would you call it, like um, craft beer. No, but it's it's there is a there is a craft beer revival that sort of happened in the late nineties. Yeah. So, but this this game, Viticulture Essential Edition, is set in the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. So it has this really old school, uh, almost like. The, the box design looks like something you'd see on a, a label of a wine bottle, say, for example. And this comes from Stonemeyer Games, who have done such titles such as Scythe. This particular version of the game came out in 2015. It's the essential edition of something that came out in 2013. It's designed by Jamie Morton Monrad Peterson, and Alan Stone with art by Jackie Davis, Dave Montgomery, and Beth Sobel, who I spoke about a few weeks ago because she also did the art for Wingspan, which is also from Stonemaier Games. So there's this lovely little through line there, which I quite like. And it's a worker placement game, but it's also concerning itself with hand management. And you, as the player, you've inherited a vineyard basically an, an, an aging relative of yours has left you this vineyard and you turn up there and you've basically got the bare bones of a vineyard. You've got a very tiny cellar. You've got these free empty fields waiting to have vines growing in them and not everything's there yet. And your job is to gain as much reputation as possible um, to basically create the most successful vineyard. Mm. And what I quite like straight from the off is everyone gets a different starting hand a different starting setup, and that depends on the owners that you've got. So it's always different every time. You're not always starting at the same pace, at the same level. And you get your own vineyard board. It's there in front of you. There's my vineyard. And you've got your own little crush pad waiting for the grapes to go into for people to stamp on them. And you've got your own wine store, little cellar waiting for you. And you just it's just so appealing to have that there. And in the centre, you've got this large board, and that is where obviously the workers get placed. So, so
0: you you said that this this was a worker placement game. So, what? Obviously, that means that on your turn, I assume that you've got certain meeples that you're putting down in order to perform certain actions. So
1: that's correct. Yeah.
0: So, um, like usually, my the issue that I have with worker placement games is that you spend all your time sitting there going right I'm going to put my worker here which means I'm going to be able to do that and do this and do that and then inevitably what always happens every single time is that someone jumps in front of you and does what you want to do before you get to do it and then you can't do it and you've got to change completely your whole strategy and it's terribly annoying and frustrating and always seems to be that someone tends to dominate so is that the same in viticulture that it is in like lots of other worker placement games that that I've played?
1: I think it used to be in the original edition but one thing they introduced in the essential edition which I think the player was that the the part was here but it didn't have the same rules is what they call the El grande worker right. which is basically a giant worker who essentially can go anywhere you've got one of them you've got one of them per year but essentially Sam they muscle in so even if the slots are all filled you can just plonk your El grande worker mm. there and it ruins that kind of stress because I absolutely agree with you that is my annoyance often with worker placement games. I'm sat there thinking, well, there's no point in me strategizing. I'm the last one to go this round. I might as well just wait to see what happens because I'm just going to get my hopes up and somebody's going to take my place and I'm going to get really frustrated. You don't have that here.
0: Yeah, or like me, you spend all your time thinking about what can I pick that's really going to annoy the
1: person I'm playing with? Like, what do they want? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what I quite like about this is that it, it really does, and, and it sounds a very silly thing to say because I've never run a vineyard. But it it has these lovely little little touches of the everyday goings on of a vineyard that it it could have just ignored and focused on the wine making, but it chooses to put in there and make them a place for your worker to go so for example, if I'm short on cash, I can go to one bit on the board, and it's just I get some money, but it's basically I've given a member of the public a tour around the vineyard oh. and and it's just really quite lovely think, "Oh yeah, here this is my vineyard. it's really quite nice. So after we've had spring and we've decided who's getting up when, then that is the player order for that year, basically. And in summer, this is where you start putting your meeples out on the board. So I can choose to get new vines to put in my field and plant them, um, to build structures that will facilitate certain types of grapes to grow, like trellises, say, for example. Or I can play visitors cards who these people have turned up for the summer as a one-off to help me and give me a little bit of a bonus, a little bit of a boost, say, for example. So, you know, I, I I place these vine cards, I flip them over and I put them on my field physically and they slot there, they tessellate really neatly there. And, and I, I should say that all the cards here are neatly colour coded so you can easily tell what season's which, there's no confusion. It's this beautiful, beautiful, relaxing pace attached to it. And then we shift into the autumn phase, which is where you basically pick a card from either the summer visitor deck or the winter visitor deck depending on whether you want to focus on your next year in growing more grapes or harvesting them so it's very simple very clear-cut a very easy game to follow and then in the winter the workers you've got left this is where you're putting them in another part of the board which is just devoted to the harvesting of the grapes this is where you take the grapes out of the field if you feel they're ready yet and put them on your crush pad and you've got these lovely little half um Almost like these, like these kind of half lenses or discs they look like, and they're they're transparent. But when you put them on the the, 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 uh, the grape symbol, it, it suddenly looks like a grape. And there's something quite nice about that.
0: What 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 do you mean when you think the grape is ready? So it's like is there like an aging
1: mechanic? Yes. So in the crush pad, you've got like um, a scale going from one upwards. So the number of the grape you've got in your field automatically it goes straight across into the exact same number. So you don't need to do GCSE maths like you do in Seven Wonders. The same number you get in the field correlates straight across to the number in your crush pad. And equally, whatever's in the crush pad will later go into your wine cellar. And there's something so satisfying about taking the grapes out of the field, crushing them in the pad, moving Mm. them across to the wine cellar, and then blending them if you want to. And again, the the maths of that is very simple to blend them neatly into maybe a sparkling wine say for example or a blush and then you cash them in this is definitely reminding me of of
3: brewcrafters like like it's it's not just doing the fact that you know it's 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 making booze as a sort of worker cra- uh, placement game but but it also just feels like thematically uh, as in in terms of like um, how close it is to the theme yeah, uh, like it, it. Yeah, it just sounds like it sounds like they've gotten across this really nice, that sort of nice feeling of I run a vineyard, which is yeah, which is which is like desirable. I would say like like that feels like a nice, a nice like oh I, I what if I could run a a, yeah. a, a vineyard?
0: It's it's really nice when if when you get the feeling from a designer and a design team that. They've not just picked winemaking or beer making or, in the case of Great Western Trail, cow hustling (laughs) as like a, we've got a set of mechanics, yeah, winemaking. We'll just pick that. They've actually thought about what process Mm. and what real-life action or activity actually marries up with those those processes the best Mm. um it generally from from what it says from what from what you both said about brewcrafters and viticulture like they it sounds like they've really thought about the right theme for the right set of mechanics like it's not it doesn't sound like a happy accident
1: no and it does feel like it was made with love it genuinely does it it feels and maybe that's because it's the essential edition they've solved a lot of the teething problems they had with the previous version say I, I wanna I want my parents to play this game because I think if there's anyone you know who's interested in wine and wine making, it's a it's a great gift, it really is, because straight away very quickly you feel you're in that world, as it were. And that's for me who's who likes wine, but I'm not an aficionado of wine per se. And if I can just get if I if I'm just getting a taste of that, if I'm feeling that from just having a taste of that experience, then for somebody who's really into wine and that, that Mediterranean. Feeling that atmosphere, they're going to absolutely love this.
0: Chris and I uh, had an online experience last night.
1: We certainly <laughs> did.
2: Well, lucky you. Do you do you want me to go further, or should I just leave it? I mean, I mean, I don't. It depends on what it
3: is. Is 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 this? Should you be sharing this, or is this should this be kept private? Is this an is this something for only fans, or is this uh, something that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you stay till the end of the podcast, you can hear all about <laughs>
0: our experience. No, Chris and I did, as well as our partners, they were there as well. Um, we did an online escape room. Hmm. So, well, hmm, is it really an escape room? It felt more like just an online um, like puzzle game, basically, together. But it had been set up by an escape room company, isn't that right Chris?
1: Yes, The Panic Room and I came across it through an article I saw online. I think it might have been The Independent uh, because there are a few companies doing this now. Uh, Some of them are just uh, people doing it for fun, others are genuine escape room companies who at the moment obviously have not got physical people in the space escaping from their rooms so they've actually moved a lot of their work online into the digital realm. So for example, Dur- an escape room in Durham has put one of theirs on for free, which is Mr. X. So I think they may have actually just created it for online. This is a paid game we played, and it was the Sherlock Holmes themed game we played, which was around 15 quid. Hmm. Uh, but if you think about what your average ticket, cinema ticket costs.
0: Or even your average
1: escape room. Exactly.
0: Is that 15 quid each? 15 quid for everyone. Ooh. Everyone.
1: And I've got that code now, which I'm allowed to share. I've got it for life and um obviously i'd encourage anyone to go out and support the organisation but for just 13 pounds
0: chris will sell you that code <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so uh but yeah and and they've basically taken one of their escape rooms and put it online cool. and, it, it, and it it was really good wasn't it sam we were quite surprised actually by the production values of it
0: yeah so so it it started off with like this youtube video Explaining like the prologue and the story, and a bit of an explanation of like how the game actually plays. And then it was a lot. If you played Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, you'd be a lot, you'd be very familiar with the kind of how it worked as a game. We were essentially trying to track down Sherlock Holmes, and in the process of doing so, we were following his steps as he was also working his way through this particular mystery. So every every puzzle page we'd get uh we'd meet a certain character in the story and they um that would be um partnered or accompanied with um, some dialogue by an actor and then and then there would be a, a puzzle and we'd have to find like maybe an address in London or we'd have to find a certain character or a code to put in connected with that puzzle and and some of the puzzles were, were really interesting it was I think if it was any more than the four of us, there would have been too many people because that particular escape room that we did was extremely linear. So one of the things I love about escape rooms is that there's room enough for people to go and work on something whilst you're concentrating on on one specific puzzle. Whereas here, it's kind of like we're all staring at the same thing. And what, what tended to happen was Chris and Veronica had solved it and Lisa and I were just along for the ride or the other way around. There's very rarely moments where we were actually collaborating yeah. mm. on the puzzles. And that's not to degrade the puzzles themselves. It's just more about like how the experience is when you're virtually doing it. I, d- I don't know how you would be able to simulate like working on two puzzles at once and... But yeah, but other than that, I we both we all four of us came but came away from it like really satisfied that we'd had like, you know, we really felt like we'd worked through something and achieved something, which yeah. is always what you want to feel when you leave an escape room or do something like that that you've actually got there on your own steam.
1: Yeah, that was from the Panic Room online. So that is Alex and Monique Souter or Souter. Apologise for mispronouncing your name there, but they did a really good job. I didn't tell you this, Sam, but. Um, it, it gives you the option to download the soundtrack. They, they create a little soundtrack for you to have in the ah. background as you're playing, which is always a good thing, which is lovely. That would have been great. Um, but, yeah, I'm definitely going to be going back to them. And I think it's just a great way to entertain ourselves at the moment, really.
0: Yeah, because, like, the experience that, um, you know, I, I'm sort of hankering for that escape room experience. I don't think we're going to be having for... A long long time like not only it being such a tactile experience but also asking people to be locked in very confined situations mm. and expecting like people to then go into those situations clean everything down and then like have more people come in it's just not going to be a, a realistic experience for a long time so we've been we've been lucky enough to play this also uh cosmos very kindly sent a few of us some more of their exit games.
1: So good.
0: Then, which which ones which ones do we get? Dan, you got one, didn't you?
2: Uh, I had oh I played, I can't use the Go one. On. It's exit. It was exit, it was the sus- it was the one with the suspects. Yeah. The, uh, the-,
0: the-, he- the- heft. Theft. Oh, on. The... the uh. The... You, have you not got it yet?
2: No. Yeah, I just wondered how far you go. <laughs> All right. Okay, yeah. I thought you were about to sneeze. I'm sorry. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so yeah. So they they sent us through. I had um, theft on the Mississippi. Um, I play quite a few of these now.
1: Um, it's so good.
2: So w- was it was it kind of different to ones that you've done before?
0: Theft on the Mississippi, because like you show me pictures and it looked a lot like the Orient Express
2: one, where it was a bit more of a. Uh, like a story. Well, yeah. Well, the next the next one I've got to play is is um, yes. the Orient Express. Um, I do. I I have that one. Um, I bought bought that one. Actually, I bought them beforehand. The Mississippi kind of in a in a very subtle way leads oh. into the, the 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 Orient Express. Um, usually, most of the ones I've played before, it tends to be um, the overarching thing is a mystery. You are locked in a room or something like that. You are locked in the abandoned cabin, so to speak. Um, And you have to solve these puzzles to escape. Whereas this one, um, you're basically, you have, I think it's like 10 suspects and you have to eventually, you have to solve puzzles to discover their, to interview them and to get alibis for each of them over the course of the game. So you're working out who everyone is. And basically what you have to do is when you figure out, when you, you have the crime scene and you have to place everyone in the position where they say they are, and then you discover well, ah. someone's obviously lying because this person is here and they've got an alibi. Someone, someone can corroborate that, and then someone is not in the place that they should Love be. That. So then, that kind of reveals who the actual kind of theft is. Um, so it does. It does play out differently because obviously the the the, the, context is the same. The content's the same. You're still solving puzzles and doing all different interesting things. Um, but the overarching thing is trying to work out who this who this thief is so you I can love kind that. of solve that puzzle at because
1: the end. they've become basically the go-to gifts for my family now they're buying them for everyone they know didn't your didn't your brother oh no yeah <laughs> I
0: love the story. No,
1: no, no, not only my brother, Sam, but my parents. No. (laughs) So the whole whole beautiful thing about these games from Cosmos is that they are one and done, and it's an event, it's ephemeral, and it it just makes it more, it adds value to that experience. Yeah. And there's something quite, and they can be really creative in terms of how they get you to solve the puzzles because it is something that is a one and done thing. My brother, independently from my parents, they've painstakingly, glued back together or avoided destroying any of the games so we can have a go at them and I had to explain to them you know that's not really the whole you know that's not the whole it's not mousetrap mum you know it's 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 the whole point of it so yeah but but they're basically that is the go-to thing for gifts in our family now father's day is coming up and I think everyone's going to get my dad one of those because they love it, and 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 it's an event, and having it on your shelf, just knowing it's there, and, and when the and you know when the time's right, going, oh yeah, should we play that? Amazing.
0: I'm gonna throw a spanner in your works Ooh. when it comes to gifts for your father, because Cosmos also sent us what is kind of like the next step in like this exit series, which <gasps> is called Adventure Games, mm. and we played one called Adventure Games Monochrome. Ink mm. and the great thing about this, Chris, is that your family needn't worry about um, having to stick all the parts of it together because these are games that are meant to be, you know, put back in the box, maybe played again, or maybe sent on to a friend, um, which is what I did. Like, me and Lisa played it and I packed it all up and I sent it to Pete, who has also managed to play it. And then Pete will pick one of you two, oh, yeah, um, to, to send it to her again. And the best way to describe what the adventure game series is and how it differs from the exit games is that whereas the exit games are analog versions of escape rooms the adventure game series are analog versions of point and click computer adventures yep oh wow and it's and when i first heard that i was exceptionally skeptical about how you would indeed pull this off like how the games would feel. I just thought that they would be extended, like um, escape room games. I just thought that that was going to be the the whole thing, and these are just bigger box versions of those games that we've all played and loved before. But this is this genuinely feels beat. did for me like a fresh and new experience, and both Lisa and I came away from it really impressed about how much fun we'd had, like how challenging it was, how atmospheric and thematic like the whole experience was. Um, it's, it's, really, it's really very good. And like, if you've ever played or loved a point and click adventure, which is why I sent this to Pete straight off the back, because I know that's kind of his bag and he'd be probably the best person to judge mm-hmm. like it really recreates that feeling of like point and clicking yeah like even down to like the exasperation where lisa and i would be in rooms going right let's combine this with this no right combine this with this and that with that yeah right yes we finally got something <laughs> right on to the next thing yeah
3: completely like that game is um yeah, it is so point and click at times that uh yeah, you just you, you you do that classic like what if I were to rub this item against this item? How would that would that work? And and like that that's always like an issue that you get in point and click adventure games, which is why I think we can all agree that the best point and click adventure game is Broken Sword because basically Broken Sword is completely logical right like there's if, mm-hmm. if you that first game is very very logical if you put this with this there is an expected outcome or you know why those two things work together um and things make a logical sense and i think that that's the same for most of this adventure um uh, as well like for the most part you can see why um, the the example that they give and i don't want to spoil any of the game but the example that they give in the rule book is um, if you combine the 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 milk with the cat bowl then that will produce milk in a cat bowl and you can use that on the cat for example i think that's in the rule book um
0: it's a it's a can opener with a can of cat food there you though.
3: go can opener yeah. cat food um and you can see how logically that would work out um and i think that i think that for the most part it does do that and and that's when that game is at its best. So Alex and I played this together as a as a as a as a duo going through it, and there isn't really a, a sense of competition to it, which I think is good. Um, again, it feels very thematic. The one that we played because it had um, elevators and towers, and so you you visited different levels and different rooms within that space. So when you saw it all laid out on the table, it looked really cool. Like it like yeah. seeing like different you know rooms and stuff was really really like neat um and uh the cards are initially all uh face down uh in 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 the tower so when you get into the elevator and you go up to floor four um you actually have to flip the card over and then you read out a a, a paragraph from within the book or if you're smart and like <laughs> us you use the you you use the app uh, and we'll get to that in a second um and basically there, there's a piece of text which explains this is what you're doing. This is what you see a bit of like a narrative hook, much more of a narrative hook, I would say, than, than the other Cosmos uh, uh, games, uh, like Escape the Room games. This, is a bit, this one really does feel much more of a story um, and you do make choices in the game that do have an effect later on. The thing, one of the things that I found that was really interesting is there's a. Um, it's quite. It's, it's touted very proudly on the box that there's a quote a save function in the game. Yeah. yeah, which, yeah, is, yeah. which is which yeah. is really I like that. it's really clever. Like, um, I mean, it is basically just take a photo of where the game is. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, which yeah. <laughs> which is fine. Like, but it's it's very clever and 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 well thought out. And we played the whole thing in one sitting um, because like we, we we couldn't stop really. Um, yeah,
0: because it, it's meant to be broken up into three acts. Yeah. So there's points yeah. within the adventure where it goes, you've reached the end of this act now, feel free to... And it knows that at that point, if you were to take a picture of it, it will be quite clean and easy yeah. to set back up again. Yeah. And in fact, the game comes with two, two baggies or one baggies, yeah. which is essentially... Your save files, yeah, (laughs) where you put everything in the baggie that you want to save from each section, so you can like put your decks, your hand of items in one baggie, and then put your locations in the other. Mm. So it's like that's your save file. So they've really like thought about that kind of thing, but yeah, like you, Pete, we loved it so much that we played. You just go straight all through all three acts. Yeah, and each act is about an hour long. So we just like did a whole like
1: three hours in what in in one afternoon. Yeah, and Sam and Sam because obviously yeah. like you, the 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 um, the escape room games. I can imagine because I know Lisa's got experience of doing lots of escape rooms. Yeah, she hasn't got much of a background, I don't think, in and click adventures. Was it as intuitive for her stepping into this? Did it feel like anything else that she'd played before?
0: No, but each thing that you can interact with has a certain symbol attached to it like a fingerprint or like a little hacker scanner or like a little audio waveform so you already know before you go to explore it what kind of thing that you're interacting with yeah and there's lovely like thematic touches so um i played um One of the characters who was a hacker. So I immediately went up to uh, this hack point and tried to, like, I tested my luck on it and tried to hack into it. And I got it, I got the combination of things wrong. And the game was able to replicate the fact that it would, that the company that we were trying to infiltrate had remembered my fingerprint. So whenever I interacted with any icon that had a fingerprint on it, the alarm level of the game would rise. Yeah. So everything in the game is so neatly set out and the iconography on it is is really easy to learn that even if you don't have much experience with point-and-click adventures, like, you quickly learn about what things you can and can't interact with and also because of the range of characters that you can play uh, that are all, like, really super diverse and different and interesting, they're depending on which character you choose also dictates how you will interact with the environment so there's like a a thief who will crack into safes there's a hacker who will use computers and there's other characters who like interact with the world in 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 different ways and will and will solve puzzles in different ways yeah um so so yeah it, it's for anyone it's you know you don't have to be like the 90s kid playing broken sword to appreciate like yeah how good the design and, is and
3: and and the thing is i think that like the, the the design is absolutely fantastic and the storytelling is really really quite good there were there were moments where i was genuinely i wouldn't say scared but like definitely unnerved at some of the things yes. that they go through like there's there's definitely bits in it that like for me like the the best kind of um uh some of the best like horror fiction like the stuff that just sort of sits with you for a bit and i wouldn't say that it's a horror game but it's but it's certainly a thing where every once in a while there'll be a piece of imagery that will sit with you it's not and again like not to i don't want to give anything away but there's not a it isn't horrific it isn't gratuitous but it is also not something that I would show like a twelve-year-old kid. Like it's maybe like maybe maybe slightly older would be probably a little bit better. Are you saying my uh, two-year-old isn't quite ready? I mean, I'd say your two-year-old wouldn't have a clue what's going on. Like you know, like <laughs> like they'll be fine. Don't worry about
1: that. He's playing Quirkle, uh, Pete. Don't worry. Yeah, he's about playing Quirk. Yeah, he's all yeah, right. Yeah.
3: Like you know, it's true, true. Um, but um, the 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 thing with it is, uh, like I say, the narrative is really really cool, and and we um. So as I say, we we actually read from the book, and you can there's a there's a narrative book in it, in which you go to you know find this entry, you go to that entry, and you read out the entry. It's kind of like, um, yeah, it's kind of like the Sherlock Holmes consulting detective in that way, um, and and it's good. It really is good at um, like moving the story forward. However, one one slight issue is that if you end up with a puzzle in which the number that you need to land on is mm-hmm. is always going to be similar to a wrong answer so for example there's a thing where it's like uh, let's say for example it's 200 or something like that there'll be like um like a like the answer will either be 200 201 202 203 something along those lines right like just making something up but that kind of thing and the problem with that is that if you then look that up and you got the wrong answer, the way that the game no- the way that the game tells you that that you've got the wrong answer or, or you haven't been able to put something together very often is that it just doesn't have an entry. And so you'll accident like let's say for example you needed 201 but you decided you you went for 202. You'll try and look at you'll look up 202. It won't be there, but you'll very easily see oh 201's there though. And yeah, yeah. And- And so it literally happened to me, I think, twice over the course of, you know, three or four hours, which I think is an incredible feat of design that it didn't happen more. But the the way that you get around that is really smart. And that's basically you download the app, which which (laughs) basically just reads the whole thing to you. You put numbers in and then it'll tell you whether or not you're anywhere near to what it is that you should be doing. Um, So that sounds great. It's really nice
0: expect it through one of your front doors soon. We'll we'll find out who Pete's favorite is depending on who gets it first.
1: Oh crap.
2: <laughs> it arrived yesterday.
3: <laughs> oh. Well, we all know So i've been playing tiny bird garden um, and um, it's this to me is like it's it, it's the toyetic clicker that i didn't know that i wanted so uh like the clicker games like cookie cl- cookie clicker is the famous one um but there's a whole bunch of them um Uh, where basically you just tap the screen and then money goes up and uh, Adventure Capitalist is a good one as well. Um, But like in this one, what you do is um, you get feathers, that's your currency, and then you buy toys and you have a little garden. And in the garden, um, you put these toys down, which you bought from the shop, these little feathers, and then um, you wait after you've filled up the bird seed feeder and then um, these little cartoon birds flap into the garden and then, um, and then there's a little speech bubble that comes out of their heads. And then you tap on them. And then they say something quite nice and life-affirming. Like, I really like this garden. Or, um, I, would, I would totally come on a date here. Or, sometimes you just got to look after yourself. So they, they turn up to your garden. And then, um, after a while, they leave. Because they've eaten the birdseed and they've played with the toys. And they leave feathers for you. And then with these feathers, you bought, buy more toys. Except for sometimes, once you've filled your garden with toys, then you can buy treats and you can give the animals the you can give these birds the treats, and then they'll like you more. And then you'll grow this little heart bar that they have, and they'll 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 like like you more and more and more. And then you put more seed down because the seed goes down over time. And then they come back, and then you give them a hat which you can buy from the shop. So you can buy them hats, and these hats are like little little bow ties that they put on their head, little um, uh, little things that they put around their necks as well, like little uh, little uh, ties that you can put on them, um, and um the reason that, so the reason that I've kind of enjoyed it is that it's just so I kept looking I kept playing it and kept thinking where's the game where's the game in this thing like why where's the score where's the where's the competition and then you and then after a while it clicks and you're like no nah, it's just a nice game about birds that visit your garden and it's and it's just a nice little toy where you just see the the nice writing that some writer put in and the nice art that some nice artists put in. And like, it all just sort of clicks together in a totally serviceable way. Like, like there isn't anything technically fancy about it. I mean, there's some really cool stuff about like, you know, it's got like cloud saves. So you can have the, the Android version, uh, talk to the PC version. Um, in the PC version, you get like three or four little mini games that you can play that are just kind of very, again, very simple, like match three. And, um, uh, like memory games and stuff like that. Literally just time wasters, complete time wasters. Um, but again, you just come away from it. And like, you know, you, you play this time waster for a little bit and then you go back to your garden and you realise some birds have turned up and you're like, oh, cool, look, there's, uh, there's Trevor. There he is, enjoying them. Um. Um, I've been
0: playing it for a bit as well. And um, it it's very, very like... The way you said it as well, it is quite disconcerting in the way that it looks, the art aesthetic, everything about it. Um, sort of the uh, the audience it's aiming for. It feels like one of those predatory yeah um, <laughs>
3: yeah <laughs> um,
0: mobile games, especially because I'm playing the mobile version, not not the PC deluxe version, uh, but. You know, it's got everything's like got two different types of currency. You got a little shop where you buy things like buy these treats and these toys, and like different types of you can get different types of bird feeder. There's like whistles that you can buy yeah. to instantly make birds appear in your garden.
2: This is this is all setting off alarm bells, it should, and then stuff like that should, yeah, yeah. It, I thought, my
0: god, this is gonna be this is, you know, my
2: god, Pete, what are you doing?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like press a button and it's going to be like now building your first toy. This will be built in 4 minutes 10 seconds. To build it now, use one of the glittery feathers. But it's got none of that. There's none of this is no. this present in the game at, at no point has it ever urged me or encouraged me to like to get um to buy any other currency at all the worst
3: the worst thing it does is it has um every once in a while there'll be an interstitial ad so you'll play it a bunch and then a little ad will come up and you'll have to wait five seconds to to cancel the ad and then basically you yeah. come out and also by the way you can turn all that stuff off um like you can pay to remove the ads forever yeah it also i believe has an iap purchase limit so um it actually stops you purchasing beyond a certain period and just unlocks like just it like basically there is a full game unlock for the Android version which is just like yep yeah, cool that's everything like you can't spend anymore like it's brilliant
0: yeah tiny tiny bird garden just feels i think the pervading feeling that i've got when i've sort of dipped in and played it is almost the same feedback loop that I got when I played kind words and you can go back to a previous episode and hear the incredible things I've got to say about kind words and how I think it's like it's you know the game of the moment and has helped my mental health no end but if if that kind of interaction with the game is off-putting as in terms of like you don't feel comfortable um, engaging and, and sharing your thoughts and feelings and questions with an otherwise anonymous social media, and I completely understand that. Then you can get that same sort of feeling with Tiny Bird Garden, <laughs> yeah. and and it's that feeling of in exactly the same kind words of putting something out there. In this case, treats and toys, having having people who you who you might never see, because in Tiny Bird Garden, most of the time I get a notification that my bird seed is has finished. There's no birds in the garden because there's no bird seed there, but. They've all left me these little thank yous, saying, "Oh, I really enjoyed visiting your garden. I had a great time." Like, and each bird has a little yeah. um, uh, sort of a thank you or a personalised saying that they say when they come and visit your garden. And kind words is exactly the same. Like, mm. you put a message out there, and people you don't know who will never see will send you a message back. And it's and there is no direct way to reward that experience other than being able to say thanks and it feels like it has that same kind of loop and yeah. they manage to put so much personality into the birds
3: that it generally does feel rewarding when they do say like thank you so i'm like you sam like i go on i fill my bird feeder i might see one turn up and i'm like I am hashtag blessed. Close the app, right, <laughs> and then like close the app, and then it's like, oh, by the way, um, all the uh, all the seeds gone. You go back, and as you say, you get like fifteen different messages from all these different birds. Mm-hmm. You never saw them, but you think, oh, brilliant. Well, I'll put some more feed out then. Yeah, because it's all gone. All the feed's gone. Okay, well, all the feed's gone. Well, obviously, I'll go out and and do it again. And it's that being nice and not expecting a direct reward. It, it, like in a gameplay sense you know you're not leveling up you're like you're just doing it like yeah it's 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 the same as I say the same same niceties you get with you know kind words it's the same nice that you get with things like uh, like the mainline animal crossings um and um you know any other game where there's just a just a feeling an overall feeling of positivity rather than overall feeling of competition or grimness which i think is yeah refreshing are we really going to talk about superhero vr games surely dan the worst combination of things that could ever exist superhero games and vr games in in <laughs> one
1: depends on the superhero doesn't it
3: Oh, does it though? Like yeah. there are some good Batman games, but there are some dreadful Batman games. So what would you say are the good Batman games? Um I would say <laughs> yeah, I would say I would say all the movie tie-ins are beyond reproach. They're so good. Um yeah. uh, no, I mean, yeah, obviously like Arkham the Arkham series is good. I would even go so far as saying the origins Arkham game is it yeah. is a shame. Shame what Rocksteady did to the Arkham Origins, like it is—that game was good. So surely, as you say, there have
2: been some awful Batman games, and then Rocksteady made a series of good Batman games. Yes. So surely, when Rocksteady make a VR Batman game, that's yeah. worth paying attention to, as opposed to just dismissing it out of hand.
3: Mm, I would, I would say that alarm bells are still ringing, Dan. I don't want to go too much into the story of it because uh,
2: I don't want to give anything away. What I will say is that it 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 plays in on those the key areas of the Arkham games that work really well. That investigation, that I the kind of the Mm -hmm. uh, visual side of investigating a scene. There's a there's a there's a bit where you have to investigate a crime scene and you you have to kind of rewind it and play it back and see. And you kind of again you kind of turn you have to turn the controller in the same way that Doctor Strange does in the Marvel films. He turns his hand and he turns back time. It's that kind of controlling of time exactly it's all really really nice there's not quite enough of it overall because it's a short game the the kind of the game pretty much is done within like an hour and a half oh, wow. um yeah so it's not a not a long experience it's, it's a fun experience but not a long experience um similarly you have one of the big components of the Arkham games was um kind of using x-ray kind of an x-ray vision type thing in terms of searching um bodies and corpse and stuff like that. And you have a similar thing here. And obviously you've, you're, you've got it in your hand. So you're. it feels really good to be able to just search around with this torch. And the only other thing I'd say is, without going into detail, is the narrative stuff that they do is really interesting. And there are certain bits that they've been able to utilize the VR with, which were brilliant. Now, I didn't know it was going to be a short game. And there was a a kind of point I got to and I was like, I was really getting into it. I was like, yes, this is really actually doing some really good stuff now. And then it ended. And I was really disappointed because I got, oh. And I was was just like, yes, we're hitting a stride here. I know where this is going. And then it kind of ended. Um, It kind of felt a bit like a proof of concept. There was a number of, there was enough space to try out different things without actually going into too much detail. Whether or not that's because they felt a longer game both would have been too difficult to do and couldn't be sustained with a with a VR headset. Uh, they may have felt that that would have gone too far. Um, but in terms of to go back to your original point, Pete, why should I use it have a superhero VR when it's done like Batman's done? It's a very enjoyable gaming experience because there are elements of role playing that make you feel that way so i mean it's a simple thing when you when you first put on the suit and stuff like that, you you see in the mirror and you see yourself and you're like okay and you move your arms and batman's moving his arms and you're like yeah i'm i'm batman um they, they there was a bit of a cop out where they show you the batmobile and then they see show you getting out of the batmobile and you're like oh
3: <laughs> as a video game producer let me tell you what happened then somebody said let's have a car section and a producer came along and went that sounds really expensive let's just have them get out of the batmobile and we'll just say that that's the same thing
1: and a designer went home and cried that evening yeah because it's quite disorientating when that happens in a first person game in a vr game hang on why am i closing my eyes slowly oh they're opening again oh i'm oh oh they ran they ran out of time okay yep Mm. (laughs) <laughs> so, so Dan, is there an Alfred DLC? Like, what what would be, would be amazing, wouldn't it?
2: There is there is not there is not an Alfred DLC. There is an Alfred uh, in there. Well, actually, one thing I the, the, like the one of the opening scenes. Um, you just you're stood there at the piano, and kind of um, Alfred kind of comes over to you, and he's just talking to you, and he gives you the key to unlock the piano, and you open the piano, and then you press any few keys, and that's what unlocks it, and you go start going into the back cave. And you you've got him kind of talking to you in your ear whilst if you don't do anything, he's talking to you and like telling you to different to do different stuff and kind of urging you on like in a in a very Alfred way so yeah he's 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 there, but i wouldn't I wouldn't
1: expect anything too much from him there's a key to the piano oh. I mean if you lose that key that's it yeah, that is it <laughs> Batman no more <laughs> and there it goes,
0: another staying in podcast which featured Daniel Frost, Peter Willington. Chris Darby, and me, Sam Turner. Now, we know that it's been another couple of weeks of uncertainty and change, which may have made many of you feeling scared and comfortable or slightly out of sorts. So we really hope that us, once again, simply sharing some of the things that we have been up to to keep ourselves feeling connected, productive and healthy um, helps in some way. We believe that playing games, watching films, reading books and everything we love about The Great Indoors uh, can be great ways to build connections with those around you, start conversations and keep positive. So please, if you think that someone you know would benefit from our particular brand of enthusiasm, then do share the podcast with them and let them know that they can send in questions and get in contact with us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We are at StayingInPod in most places and if you go to StayingInPod.com you can find all that information at your leisure. If you have a moment or so, then leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or following us on Spotify is a great way to spread that warmth uh, with other people. Warmth that we hope will reach the people who may need it right now. So till next time, take care. Bye-bye.